I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are The, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with The Weekend Review. What movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or review. And then finish up with Film Faves. Our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode... After some weekend review catch-up, we will be reviewing, as our main event, Marvel's Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao. And then, for film faves, we will be counting down our favorite film franchises. This should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. We had a an issue with the what was it, last Jeff episode? Jeff had a faux pas. Well, it, it was a technical, like, crash, essentially, that resulted in us losing the Week in Review segment that we had recorded. And we were going to record a bonus episode that was just catching up on everything that we had been watching. But due to Shanna's uh, work schedule, it's been a little hectic and, and difficult to squeeze that in. So we haven't gotten to do that. So here's what we're going to do. Just really briefly, a couple of things that we had talked about <laughs> in that lost recording. We're just going to like boom, boom, boom. And then we're going to try and fill in some other stuff in our actual Week in Review segment. So, Jana, you go first. Yes, yeah, so my first one is Murder on Middle Beach. It's on HBO, and it is a murder mystery. A son is trying to find out how and why his mother was killed, and it has a somewhat satisfying end. It takes place over a span of about six years. And so do you recommend it or not? Yes, I recommend it. All right, excellent. Dear Evan Hansen talked about that. Uh, basically, don't see the musical. It's a bad mu- mu- musical. Um, Wait, it's a bad movie or it's a bad musical? Yes. Which one, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> it's both things. Okay. It's both things. Love and Monsters. We watched that. Highly recommended. It. It's a South African director. Go check it out. Enjoy it. Zola. We watched Highly that. recommended based on a true story at True Event. Go check it out. We watched the I showed you the original Westworld movie. Since you're a fan of the Westworld As TV show. As a Westworld TV show fan. Go check it out. It's really fun to see where certain things stem from and how they made it much better in the show. Absolutely. I enjoy It's a nice precursor to things like Terminator also. Yeah. Very cool. Little Monsters. That's the one with the zombies? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. In Australia. So you get to hear accents. Yay. And Lupita Nyong'o is there and she's a school right. teacher who is amazing. I would want my children there with her. Great character. Great character development. And I highly recommend that one. I gave it a mild recommendation. Kind of fun. Kind of predictable. Uh, what's his name? Josh Gad is in it in a very, I don't know. He goes through an arc. Yeah, he's he's all right. Yeah. He's he's not as enjoyable as I expected him to be. Oh, but okay. definitely he's playing a different character than normal. Mild recommendation for Little Monsters. Okay, so let's get into our actual week in review. You had another TV show you wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about. A couple TV shows actually. You wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about. Let's start with your mystery. What was that? 
All right, I highly recommend this show that I'm about to talk about. It's on HBO. It is, I believe, eight episodes, maybe ten. And it is called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It is a 2020 documentary. Now, if you know Patton Oswalt, he's a sweet guy. This is by his wife. Michelle McNamara. She is a true crime author and she decided to investigate and explore the case of the Golden State Killer who basically operated from the 70s and 80s and assaulted 50 people Uh, sexually assaulted 50 people and uh, committed 10 murders and she felt like she could really figure out who this person was and what this documentary does really well is it has a great ending in the commercial you will see that they find the killer but this exploration that Michelle McNamara takes on is amazing so there's, there's a ton of recorded information you hear her voice all the time and Michelle McNamara no spoiler real life she passed away before they found the killer mm. and it was just the story of her and how tenacious she was and how well she worked with others and gained trust of several different police departments because this is how this guy got away for so long is, you know, they talk about A, what it was like between different departments, how they didn't play well together, how there wasn't a coordinated uh, data system so that you could, you know, pick up on things much faster. And then B, how people were, specifically women, treated when it came to sexual assault. Mm. It was a completely different time. There's still some things that, that come up today, depending on where you are in the world, but they address that. And I like that they address that because it's, it's one reason, again, why this person got away with it for so long. There was a lot of shame connected to it. And uh, this is your fault that you got sexually assaulted. It is never the person, you know, the survivor's fault. Mm -hmm. It never is. Mm -hmm. But brilliantly put together, just a wonderful last episode. Uh, I just was on the edge of my seat. My very good friend is very into crime shows and, and she covers a huge spectrum of crime shows and movies and she absolutely could not wait until I finished this show so that we could talk about it. So I highly recommend it. It's I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds like one of your favorite things you've discovered this year. Oh, my gosh. And I could totally watch it again. (laughs) You know, maybe just listen to it on my way to driving somewhere because it is so dialogue heavy. They have so much of Michelle McNamara's voice. Mm. I think she had a podcast and uh, that explains where some of that came from. Gotcha. Really well documented. Excellent. Excellent. So once again, the name of that is I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO. Excellent. And you had one other thing you wanted to talk about. Yes, I finally got a chance to check out Another Life. Now, I decided to take the plunge on this one. It's on Netflix because they got a new season. So I was like, okay, well, if you have two seasons, I can probably invest my my feelings in you. So okay. it's got it's starring Katie Sackoff, which why wouldn't you want to watch it with that? Uh, there are a bunch of people in this show. This is all about alien life that lands on Earth and... We don't know what their intentions are. So Katie Sackhoff's husband is the sciencey part of dealing with this kind of thing. And Katie is the astronaut. And she has to go into space because the scientists are not making enough headway fast enough. So government says, okay, we're going to 
send all our fields out to try and tackle this alien thing and find their intentions. And so Katie Sackhoff is in deep space trying to get to this this area where the basically the mothership is. And it's quite the journey. And a lot of things happen in space. It's realistic. It's an absolute shit show because anything and everything is going wrong. And it's just absolutely fascinating how they deal with it. I don't know how scientific it is, but I had a really fun ride watching this and I can't wait to watch season two. So did you finish season one then? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm really fascinated with this because I don't see this very often. This is a show that has a 6% on Rotten Tomatoes, but you didn't see any issues with the movie or with the series at all? It says it was a hodgepodge of sci-fi homage. It lacks the distinctive spark necessary to set it apart from an array of stories it aspires to be. So basically okay. it's derivative. Did you feel all that right, in any so, way? So here's the thing. This is 10 episodes, yeah. I believe, that is checking out what can and could go wrong in space and how are you going to tackle the challenges. Okay. I am totally fine with everything that went down. Is it familiar? Yes, but it's sci-fi, so you're going to draw from different things. Mm, but um, it was never I, predictable? No, I had a okay. hard time anticipating what was going to happen next. Well, that says a lot coming from you. Yeah, so look, maybe I just don't consume enough sci-fi. Oh, yes, you um, do. Yes, you do. I don't read enough sci-fi, and well, I know that that's a whole world. Sure. But I had fun with it. I don't know why it's 6%. Yeah. Why are you people hating? I, it, it's surprising. It's very surprising. I rarely see a show so poorly reviewed. So I thought that I'd bring that up and, and uh, hear your Look, thoughts on that. It's, it's not a rival. Mm. It's not. Well, that's a movie. But in terms of a, a sci-fi show. Well, I, I don't. It's not Battlestar Galactica. Okay. It's, it's a lot of fun. Does she sit, play? That's one thing I'm concerned about. Oh. Does she play a similar character? As Starbuck? No, you know what? It's totally different because Starbuck is this young, independent, no strings attached to anything pilot mm. and is, you know, whole hog into her job mm-hmm. without often thinking about what her next action is. Okay. But in another life, she's very calm, very poised, very put together and has to think about a lot of different moving parts before she makes decisions mm. so it's almost like she's a polar opposite and she's a mother mm. so they have she has a daughter back on earth mm. and she has a husband mm. and you know starbuck is like okay he has this character that's really young mm-hmm. and doesn't have much life experience mm. and then he has another life where she's got a lot of life experience seen mm. a lot of stuff experienced a lot of stuff yeah experienced a ton of loss yeah that they get into in about I don't know, episode seven or eight. Mm. And it's it's different. Okay. Like, I think the problem might be is that maybe people are expecting a, another Starbuck. And that's mm. not really what we're getting. Well, I'd be gl- I'd welcome anything that's not another Starbuck because I don't want her to be pigeonholed in the same thing. That is Katie Sackhoff that we're talking about. And the yeah. show we're talking about is... Is Another Life on Netflix. All right. So that's about it for your weekend review. Now, for my weekend review, it's your turn now. I could only remember a couple things that I watched on my own recently. 
The first thing I'll talk about is a 2021 release, uh, delayed from 2020, I believe, and that is F9, the latest movie in the Fast and Furious saga, as they like to say now, and one of the last movies in the series. I came to this movie very, very skeptical and reluctant after Fate and the Furious. Uh, I'm a big fan of 5, 6, and 7. If you hear me vehemently defend this series it's because of five six and seven i think they are some of the best action movies ever made in the last decade and they just go just outside of like your stretch of disbelief that a mission impossible movie might right just outside of that well fate of the furious kind of like went even further <laughs> and 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 that i feel like that's when the movies became really more of a joke of like how ridiculous things are and you have a submarine and you have Dwayne what? Dwayne okay. Johnson he's guiding us uh what do you call those torpedo he's guiding our torpedo to the bad guys and everything it's it's a it's insane and so i was very reluctant about F9 i was like oh god are they going to kind of steer back a little bit or are they going to go all in with what they're <laughs> the direction they're going and they are going all in in this one. And here's the thing. I like F9 a little more than than Fate and, and the Furious. Yet, if I describe the events that happen in this movie, it sounds probably just as ridiculous as events that occurred in Fate and the Furious. I rediscovered this while I was talking to you, Shanna, okay. about the movie, about what <laughs> happens in it, because you, you don't give, you don't care about this series. No, I don't. <laughs> um, I think that the reason why the movie just barely gets by for me is because now th this movie is a little bit of a reaction to everybody's response to Fate and the Furious. Fate? In the Furious, Fate of the Furious, Fate in the Furious, or whatever. Okay. In the sense that now they're in on it, and they're leaning into it. Not only are they calling it out, the ridiculousness of what's happened. There's literally a character played by Tyrese Gibson, who's always been the comic relief over the past several years. He's literally calling out, like, all the things that they have done, and all the ridiculousness and I think that that really kind of helps this movie get by. It's in no way as good as five, six, and seven. And you even are introduced. <laughs> it's leaning into the. It is leaning even more into the absurdity of family, 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 family. Constant theme of family, <laughs> um, especially in, in this one. a great, a great theme. Because now Until it's not. <laughs> and this isn't even a spoiler. Uh, John Cena is in it. As Dom's brother. Yeah, that's revealed in the trailer. Right. It's up to you. The, the movie even calls out like, wow, they don't really look alike. Um, well, <laughs> the movie I calls mean, out. They it's both a, have height. They no, they don't. Pretty... Vin Diesel oh, wait, famously what? is short. But oh. one thing I haven't noticed that I hear people pointing out all the time is how like they constantly are trying to make Vin look like he's the same height as someone like John Cena. <laughs> so it, it's it's really, oh it, it, you know, it, it's a movie you either go along with or or don't at this point. It's not as dumb, I don't think, not quite as dumb as uh, Fate and the Furious, just because it's at least aware of it. And it's calling all these things out. And so I appreciate that. It is fun. It's over. It's the longest one, I think. It's like two and a half hours long. Yet, and it's um, like the worst one? 
No. Oh. No, 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 no. There's there's ones I haven't even seen that are considered worse. Like, two and four are considered the worst of the series. I still need to see Tokyo Drift, which is one of the most important chapters of the entire series. But anyway, oh, okay, I digress. Okay. It, it's slightly better than Fate. I will say that. Fate is probably the worst, well, second worst one I've seen in the entire for this franchise. The first one's really bad. Don't get me started. Anyway, this one is okay. And what I was saying is the length is really long, but it doesn't feel. It goes, it's so breezy. It goes by pretty easily and pretty smoothly. I don't think the climax is as satisfying as in, again, six, five, six, seven. I was kind of left with this. Oh, is this actually the climactic fight? Oh, all right. It tries to go crazy with the stunts. It's a mixed bag. It's fun. I give it a six out of 10. But it's definitely not the best that this franchise ever had to present. And we have apparently one more chapter that's being split into two movies coming up. So we'll see what happens. It's, <laughs> it's a little confusing for me, but okay. Yeah. What else have you got for us? Uh, so the other thing is I, for Halloween week, I caught up with a movie that I have been wanting to watch for a really long time. Every opportunity I have had to try to catch in this movie with all of our film faves lists and everything, it never gets squeezed in. Some of it is accessibility. Um, it hasn't always been available on a streaming service. Or I haven't always been able to rent the disc. But now it's on HBO Max, and I've finally been able to catch up. It is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The uh, Dream Warriors. Uh, huh? Now... Nightmare on Elm Street 1 is considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time, chiefly because of how creative its concept is of having this guy who was killed by the community's parents because he was doing horrible things to kids in the community, and he comes so back. So he was actually doing horrible things. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Okay. And he comes back to wreak vengeance on those parents' kids um, and their families, in this, as this, you could say, sort of like a, 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 a spirit of sorts okay. of this villain, right? The gloved fingers, you know, with the, the blades and everything. And he kills people in their dreams. So the whole idea of rather than just having some guy lumbering around through town killing people is he's killing people in their sleep. So you have this fear of, oh, my God, do I do I go to sleep? You know, I'm afraid to go to sleep. But if you don't sleep, you don't you can't live. Also, it's like a catch 22, right? Yeah, I think the longest you can go is maybe it's recorded somewhere. I don't you know what? I'm just not even going to get into it because I don't recommend doing it. Right. It's like a few days. But anyway, so the first one was a masterpiece. It's awesome. One of the greatest horror films ever. Apparently, the sequel, which I haven't seen, Freddy's Revenge, I think it's a huge drop in quality. Um, it's always been kind of like uh, horror sequels at the time. They're kind of turning it out. But number three was always considered the best sequel in the series. And I just never got around to it, mm. you know, of the proper series. And, and there's a new nightmare, which I have seen very cool. Gets very meta, very Hollywood. At any rate. And I haven't even seen Freddy is Dead, which is very silly. This is actually really cool. It's very creative. It's not quite as great as the original film, of course. But as a horror slasher sequel it's actually a very solid entry surprisingly it's patricia arquette's first film i love patricia arquette yeah she was the one in medium right yeah i love yeah, her it was her very first role which was like huge because it was her a starring role she's plays the main character cool larry fishburne lawrence fishburne as he would eventually be known he has a bit part he was in larry it at first 
He was Larry in Apocalypse Now and in this oh, one. Okay. He went by Larry for a while. Okay. And the, the if you see the posters or promo or whatever or, or a screen for a streamer for it, it'll highlight that he's in it, but he's barely in the movie, so it's kind of like a head fake. But very creative kills. Like, this is really, really creative concepts in this film, and it's fun and... It's the only sequel to bring back Nancy from the first movie. So that's also really great. So I. So it's it's a sequel that they got right. I would say so. Absolutely. It just it's a shame it took me like it's a birth year movie for you. Actually, it's a 1987 movie. It took it took me too long to finally get around to it. I'm so glad I did. Thank you, HBO Max. That's where you can seek it out. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Very cool. Oh, and it even includes like Dungeons and Dragons. That character is like totally into Dungeons and Dragons. And in his dreams, he's a wizard and stuff. Uh-huh. It's really, really cool. That's yeah. really cool. So anyway, I highly recommend that. So now it's time for our Week in Review. There's more, folks. <laughs> We're going to try to be concise about this yes. next one yes, we as will. much as possible. Yes, Jeff. Because I know you, after we saw this next movie, you you wished we did a full-on review of this film. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Let's, and, let's see what we can do here. So what it is is Ridley Scott's latest film, The Last Duel, starring Adam Driver, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer is amazing. I have a huge crush on her. If she ever came to Comic-Con, I would just flip my shirt. So this is written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yay, very cool. They're a good team. And director Nicole Holof Center. So what Mm. you have is you have this basic structure of a plot taking place in medieval times in France. It's the last time there was an actual duel to the death in France. And it's about, well, what was that duel about? Which was uh, about whether or not one guy's friend raped this guy's wife, right? Mm -hmm. And it tells that story from the perspective of the two men and from the woman. So it it basically retells the events three times. Yeah. And it does it very economically. But what were your thoughts... I know you you, yeah. you want to talk, 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 I know, talk. it's as so As concise awful. as you can. Uh, what are your thoughts of The Last Duel? So here's the thing. It's Matt's perspective first, then Adam Driver's, then Jodie Comer's. And you, know, you save the best for last. <laughs> she is just so phenomenal. They could not have cast this movie better. Jodie Comer, if you watch her in Killing Eve, she ha- she's an assassin in that. And she has very minute facial expression changes Mm. and if you are watching her you will get all the story just from watching what she's doing Mm. and it's all very subtle so it just makes you want more they they could not have cost someone better because when you see the perspective from adam driver you see her acting in a very particular way and then when you see her perspective it's it's not very different but it is different and it's it's so shocking and so enraging and just beautiful performance i will be very upset if she does not get nominated for some sort of award with this performance. It was a fine movie. I'm not really into 
France. Right? Oh. <laughs> I'm I'm not into French movies during this time. I'm not into oh, medieval. Oh, medieval France. I can't okay. do medieval, but this I could do. I, I could watch this again. I'm looking forward to it coming out and watching it again on Blu-ray. And I cannot recommend this enough. Well, here's the thing. It's a thought. Pro- it's, 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 a, it's a somewhat heavy film. It, but it's a very thought-provoking film. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that they're doing. I'm sorry, I just can't stop talking about this film. See, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is a lot of things that they're doing with the story mm-hmm. that they're not spelling out for you. But yes. if you are aware of the issues, you will see what they're doing and how they're communicating and making it modern in a way. Well, it, it's definitely relevant. Here's the thing. I agree with you about Jodie Comer. I think that she is, a, in a great film, one of... Ridley Scott's few great films of the past 30 years, very lukewarm to, to his work the past 30 years. You know, she is the standout mm-hmm. in this film. In terms of performance, I think perspective is a very crucial word in this film. Because, Particularly with Matt Damon. No, no, just in oh, general. Okay. Perspective is a very crucial word because you will see how certain events, body language facial expressions whatever play out and how it, it, it's very open to different perspectives and it doesn't necessarily you know it doesn't necessarily mean what men think it means no this is a very i think the, the fact that they're taking this chapter in the far past and telling it today is so telling uh, as, a, as a male from me it's an eye opener of okay, this is helping communicate what women have had to deal with to varying degrees for centuries and still Since today. The birth of humanity, right? Yeah. So I think it is one of the richest films of the year, uh, and it's definitely one that you just you just gotta see. I think it'll probably perform better on streaming than it will in theaters because. You know, it's just not one of those things that right now people feel like going out on a date and seeing. But I think they'll probably feel more comfortable watching it and the streaming, which hopefully comes out in the next month or so uh, for people to catch on VOD or something. Because I I definitely think this is not a a movie to miss. Mm. It's very good. Go see it somehow, whenever. Lastly, for our Week in Review, you did a very nice thing for me. (laughs) And somehow you stumbled across a screening of 1984's Ghostbusters in the theater. And you got us tickets to see it. Now, I'm older than you. I actually was alive when the original Ghostbusters was released. Yeah, you got to enjoy all the merchandise and the toys and you got to live in Ghostbuster world. See, I grew up with Ghostbusters. However, I was like not yet four years old when the original came out. So I didn't see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. It was a big part of the VHS era mm-hmm. growing up. And then, of course, Real Ghostbusters came along in the mm-hmm. year that you were born, 1987. So I grew up with those toys and those action, uh, the, the cartoon and everything. And the sequel, what, 1989, Grew up with that sequel. But I'd never seen this in theaters. You, of course, never seen this in theaters because... You were not alive when it came out in theaters. <laughs> so this was a very special experience for us. Yeah. What age did you see Ghostbusters? Oh, God, man. It, I would guess. 
I was like five, maybe. I think I was five too. It's cool. Even though we're seven years apart, sometimes it's movies that sort of bring in this very relatable, same experience part of our lives. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, Ghostbusters came out. You saw it at five. I saw it at five. And, you know, it had a huge impression on me, Mm. obviously. And, you know, we see... 40th anniversary, 20th anniversary movies come back to the theater. But, you know, they don't do such a good job of advertising like, yeah, boom, boom, boom. This is what you can expect over the next month. I think, is it Cinemark at the mall? They do a good job of of that or they did a few years ago. Yeah, Mm pre-pandemic, I think that was more of a thing. I don't know if it is anymore. But we haven't seen re-releases, really. We saw Star Wars when the theaters first opened back up again. And then... I, I was doing research on, you know, what times are Eternals. And I saw Ghostbusters and I was like, and sold. And I think the movie tickets were 5 $6 each. Oh, nice. It was... In- so even with our Unlimited, you, know, you had to pay for the well, tickets. Well, I, I, I didn't pay for myself, but I paid for you because gotcha. I was like, I'm getting our tickets now. Gotcha. This is going in the books. And it was such a wonderful, wonderful experience. I cheered. When Janine came on screen, I was like freaking out. When mm-hmm. Winston came on screen, I was freaking out. And mm-hmm. when he said his famous line of, I love this town, <laughs> I just clapped and was <laughs> jumping in my seat. I was like a huge Marvel fan watching Endgame, the first premiere, you know? That's yeah. what it was like for me. Yeah, I was I was of two minds when it came to the attendance. I was, on the one hand, I was like, we have the entire screen to ourselves, yay! Yeah. <laughs> but I was also like, oh man, it's a shame People that we have this, this whole screen to ourselves. Because uh, I don't think there was a whole lot of other screenings for that movie that day. It was just one. One time, that's insane. Well, I so, think two shows... One theater. Okay. So what was interesting is I've seen this movie dozens of times, Mm -hmm. but seeing it on the big screen as opposed to a box TV or even a widescreen TV, more modern times, Mm -hmm. there are details that I was able to notice or see now Mm -hmm. that I hadn't before. Just little things like how, how much Stay Puft marshmallows are sprinkled throughout the texture of the film. Yes. You know, in the background. Different paintings on uh, buildings, mm-hmm. products here and there. Mm-hmm. You see it twice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? I had no idea. Have a bunch better visual when they do the lawn shots of Dana's apartment building, uh, of anybody who's walking around. Just from, little whatever. ants. So cool. Well, not even on the street. I mean, on the building or whatever. Oh, on the building you know, too. You, yeah. get, you can even see the top of that building in more detail mm-hmm. you know having the 30 foot screen or whatever mm-hmm. so was there anything else you wanted to speak to you about that experience it was it was just so wonderful i mean like i teared up maybe once i felt all this, this the whole spectrum of emotions and just seeing these characters that i love so much so ginormous was just a beautiful mm. experience and something that we i didn't expect is they had a little what do you call it when you're advertising for a new movie coming well it was like an epk yeah there was an epk for ghostbusters afterlife and i was like i'm sorry what the fuck yeah. i was so fucking pumped you had the rightmans talking to you before yeah. the movie and we saw the trailer for ghostbusters afterlife which we could have gone without the you second know? trailer yeah but seeing that was pretty exciting i i love that 
was a total Ghostbuster experience. It was. It was. So that that was, you know, unless they come out with a 40th anniversary in three years, it was a really special, unique experience. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame not many other people were able to take advantage of that. Mm. So that was Ghostbusters we saw in the theater. So that was cool. <laughs> so that is our week in review. Now it's time to move on to the main event, which is our review of Marvel's Eternals. Guided, we have helped them progress and seen them accomplish wonders. Throughout the years, we have never interfered until. Thank you for this. Oh, you're welcome. So now that Captain Rogers and Iron Man are both gone, who do you think's going to lead the Avengers? I could lead them. (laughs) (laughs) And that was from the trailer to Marvel's Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao. More on that in a second here. Starring Richard Madden, Gemma Chain, Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, Kumail Nanjiani, and Kit Harrington also stars in it. Very important to note him. Brian Tyree Henry, thank you. Leah McHugh, Lauren Ridloff, Barry Keegan, <laughs> Ma Don Stuck. We got to talk about Barry Keegan in a minute here, too. And uh, Bill Skarsgård makes an appearance as well, and more. So when we review a movie, We like to talk about the good first. What worked for us about a movie? What were its strengths? And then we talk about the bad. What were its weaknesses? What flaws, issues that we had about a film? Then we weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad and move on to spoilers and final thoughts. The Eternals is about, according to IMDb, a race of immortal beings who live on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. That's very broad brush that yeah. is uh, <laughs> being stroked there. Okay, so, Shanna, first of all, I guess I'll start this by talking about Chloe Zhao. Now, you have only seen one of her movies. I've seen two of her movies. In 2017-ish, I think she came out with a film called The Writer, which was critically uh, praised I was a little lukewarm on it. It basically starred a guy who actually experienced what was happening in the movie in the sense that it was a rodeo guy who got kicked in the head and was trying to basically deal with life afterwards and make adjustments of, you know, the reality of not being able to do what he loves anymore. Sounds like I should watch that. It's, you know, somewhat visually poetic, all that sort of stuff. And then 
talking about the release of this. This was originally going to, I distinctly remember this, going to come out in either September or November of 2020 with Nomadland coming out in December of 2020. And what ended up happening instead because of the pandemic is this got bumped a whole year to now and No Man Lad got bumped to January mm-hmm. of this year. So a bit of a out of what was originally planned. Right. So for a lot of people, people's first exposure to Chloe Zhao was supposed to be this movie and ended up being No Man Land, which I think got a fair amount of traction, much more attraction than the writer for the general audience. And now you have The Eternals. Now, Shanna... You've seen No Man Land. You haven't seen the writer. Now you've seen The Eternals. What do you think was good about The Eternals that Chloe Zhao brought into it? I think what Chloe Zhao is really good at is showing humanity. And here's Eternals. You know, they are reminiscent of gods. Well, mythology essentially is posed uh, or positioned to be... About them, versions of them. I have a better one. Okay. Here are these happy-go-lucky vampire creatures (laughs) that don't rely... You know, they're eternal. So this is how I'm seeing it. Okay. Not that they're vampires, but you're making a comparison. They can heal. They can live forever, ever, ever. And so they're basically falling in love with humanity. Mm -hmm. And I think that they couldn't have gotten a better person because based on Nomadland, Chloe shows us the humanness of everything between several different characters within that film. And then here she is showing us how all of these characters fall in love with humans and earth. And that just makes sense to me. That was great headhunting cast. It's not casting if it's a director, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know if headhunting's right oh, okay. either, but <laughs> all right. Sorry about that. Um, a great hire, you could say. Uh, it was sure. a great team, mm-hmm. and the fact that there was so many different people representing different parts of Earth here as the Eternals was wonderful. Such a diverse cast. It feels like everybody is getting represented here, and not only with you know ethnicity and culture representation, but also sexual orientation in this film. And that is super important. If you're going to bring beings that are going to live on Earth for 7,000 or so years, whatever it is, then there better be some variety to it. Mm. It's no spoiler that they go and have their own adventures. They've got 7,000 years on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, They're going to go and have their own experiences. And their experiences turn out to be fairly human. And it's always nice when you can take something that's a super being in a story mm-hmm. and show the variety of human emotions and experiences within that. I think Chloe did a great job. So I think uh, you make a really good point. I, I, I really can't even counter that with any anything else that that i i think that chloe brings to the table here i I think you're absolutely right that she she brings a sense of humanity to this a a, a visual poeticism Mm -hmm. as well yeah you know you get a little bit of that beauty of the whole thing the humans and the earth right And, and this is also a movie that takes its time yeah and I think that alone, in a way, distinguishes itself from other Marvel movies, especially solo introduction movies, 
where there's a lot of familiar beats and mm. there's like a certain amount of time that has to go by before there has to be an action beat or whatever. And mm-hmm. this movie's not completely divorced of that notion, but it, it's a two and a half hour movie and it takes its time with these characters and what they've been doing and, and, and even bringing them together. I mean, there's two characters in the film that I realized like we're at least halfway through the film before they're reunited. And I almost forgot about them, you know? Mm. So I have heard people complain about the pace of the movie. And for me, it's like, well, you're not dealing with just one character. Yeah. Well, it's Chloe Zhao. And I don't think slow pace is necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of people say a movie is slow as a pejorative. And I don't think it necessarily is a, a, a bad thing and i think mm. that it works in just enough in this film i don't think uh, every marvel movie or every superhero movie per se or comic book movie has to be fast paced mm. in order to tell a good story one well, thing about the concept of it they basically arrive at the birth of humanity and they're here to present day it's not gonna be a Zack snyder collage of opening Thank credit sequence, goodness. you know, it, it deserves to take time. Humanity is slow in their evolution. And I think that that is reflected with uh, Chloe's work and in this film. So I, I do think that there's some nits that you can pick, which I'll get into a little bit sure. in here in a minute. But I think there's a lot of a lot of positive things to say about this movie. First, I think. Not first, but one of them is this is a hugely diverse representation of characters. Racially, obviously, even though they are essentially the same race, they visually people are seeing themselves represented. We've basically a variety. got every continent represented here. Basically, I think we're missing maybe you one. Have young, you have middle-aged, you have older, you have, uh, you know, not seniors, but you have you have a Latina, you have uh, Pakistani, you, you have Korean, you have Caucasian, you have a whole variety here. Plus, you have someone who's uh, homosexual, you also have someone who's deaf, which yes. is big. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a deaf superhero before, not just in a Marvel movie, but in any movie of this kind yeah she's definitely the first in the marvel movies as far as i understand and i I love her yeah i think she's fantastic i think that one of the strengths of the movie is how it handles such a big cast of characters and some of the people who you think will be highlights in the movie aren't necessarily the ones who are the highlights in the movie. I think the, the character Sprite, who's the youngest one, I think she's actually a highlight in the film. I think John Madden is a very interesting uh, character. You mean Richard Madden? Sorry, John Madden. He's so a Icarus, yeah. Yeah, Richard Madden. I, okay. I, my mind keeps uh, defaulting to John Madden because I grew up with John Madden, the football announcer. Um, Richard Madden from Game of Thrones. <laughs> You know, there's there's some people who are who you think like Angelina Jolie. Oh wow, Angelina Jolie is back on screen and she's going to be a badass. Yeah, she actually is like a support, very much a supporting character here. She does not overpower her scenes or anything, mm-hmm. which I think is very cool. And no one does, which yeah. is great. No one overpowers. Everybody is 
working harmoniously with each other, which is fantastic and so hard to do. Now, I think we differ on this and we can get into this okay. in the next segment. But sure. I think the movie has a lot of twists and is fairly unpredictable. I was mm. surprised by some of the directions that the movie goes in. So I appreciate some of the plotting in the, the script. The depiction of a celestial. Oh, yeah. Is just all just jaw dropping on inspiring. Like, yeah, they get the scale of a celestial very well, as I understand it. I mean, this is this is something that cannot reside on a planet at all. It is so massive. This is a difficult thing. Size is a difficult thing, whether you're you're showing something like Groot or you're showing a celestial, yeah. it's very hard to get scale into a place where it's not, it's, it's a fine line. It's interesting how they walk that tightrope. Well, and, and just communicating the, 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 the immensity of a celestial, I think, is, is very well done. I think there's a lot of things that we have to get into spoilers to talk about also. So, yeah. Strengths, weaknesses. Let's talk about the bad. Just generally, mm. what are some issues that you had with the movie? I, I did predict one of the main pieces, mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's fine. It's mm -hmm. a fine problem to have. It's a fine problem to have to have <laughs> you predict. Okay. All right. Well, it's, here's the thing. It's, it's not the end of the world. Okay. You know, if you if you look at that character more closely, you're like, no, it's good mm. because that's the thing. There's so many people that are part of this unit. Mm. What one is bound or two are bound to go AWOL, you know, mm. so it's it's fine. So you see it as a flaw, but it's not something that broke the movie. It's for not. You. It didn't break the movie for okay, me because I don't think that everyone had that problem. Anything else? Uh, there did seem to be a scene or two that were missing or a scene or a, a, a piece of dialogue that probably should have just gotten taken out mm -hmm. looks like that was maybe just a mistake it feels how i feel about watching ghostbusters from 2016 theatrical cut you can tell when something's been cut out mm. and that's what it felt like with one scene in particular in this movie uh, it, it, it just i i you know what we're talking about and we can speak specifically to it in a minute here when we get into the spoilers I just feel like the, the that line of dialogue is not even necessary. Like it's it's not you don't yeah. even need that line of dialogue to communicate the feelings that they're communicating. And I almost feel like they need to take it out before they release it on print. It, it's a weird. It's a weird line. I think there's a lot of telling mm -hmm. and not showing that happens throughout. Just little things throughout the movie, particularly with Cersei who in okay. a lot of ways is kind of the lead of the movie. The main focus of the movie is, is Gemma Chain's character, Cersei. And there's a lot of moments where it's like she said, I've been doing this and I've been struggling to do this. And I was like, well, I didn't see you struggle at all. I just saw you do this very clearly mm. once. And, you know, there's other things speckled out throughout with that character in particular where they're telling us and not showing us. And I think that that hurts just a little bit when it adds up over the course of the movie. I also have little things like they quote unquote suit up. Like they have like outfits, like each person has a different color. They have these outfits and it's like, but why do they have those outfits? Like, what does that actually do? 
You um, know? I th- you know, because they do get hurt, but I don't think they get hurt by humans with that suit of armor. They get hurt by the deviants? The deviants, okay. right, which are posited as the primary villains of the movie. And if you look a little closer at their suits, their suits have meaning details that are connected to that particular character unfortunately you know i don't have enough time observing their suits so i can't quite do it but if you look at icarus's suit you can see the sort of winged there's this there's the suggestion of winged and sun character uh-huh, uh-huh. so but like there's times where they're like oh i gotta go into this room and go up against this wall so this this outfit can be put on and it doesn't feel it never felt like there's a reason for it okay it, it, it was i was always kind of left like well you know you're not explaining the reasons behind the some of the things that you have or do really that just cool. you do it I know that we're focusing on bad stuff, but I also just wanted to say the way that they show relationships, something that Chloe Zhao is also <laughs> incredibly good at, is is beautiful in this film. Relationships with each other, relationships with humans. Mm-hmm. I love it. Was there a relationship that you thought didn't work as well? Well, Angelina Jolie's character at one point has some sort of a Komodo dragon type creature, lizard thing from, you know, where they were coming from. And uh, then, then we don't see it again. So I don't know what happened to that creature. Oh, I think that was very specific <laughs> to that environment that she was in. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not Komodo dragon. It's like, well, it's a reptile. But Komodo dragons are very much more north of where they were. I guess those are bigger too. But it, it was some sort of reptilian friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, any other issues that you had with the film that you can speak to now or I broadly? I don't think so. Okay. So, does the good outweigh the bad? And what do you score the film? Absolutely. I score this probably, I, I want to say seven and a half because there's just a couple issues that I have. <laughs> the half. Okay. Well, it's not quite an eight. What mm. about you? Uh, solid seven. Okay. Solid seven. Cool. I think this is not going to be one of the best of movies in the series but i definitely don't understand how this is the worst reviewed i think like i have to read the reviews a little bit more but you know one thing i hear consistently from critics who like now that who originally championed the marvel movies now they're like i gotta go in and watch these marvel movies these nobody's forcing you (laughs) well actually sometimes they are assigned but they complain about uh, a sameness in the sense that they always have this big third act fight over them and what I'm seeing is a complaint that this movie is so different and unusual. And while it still has a third act fight, it is a very unusual movie. Yeah. So it's like if you want something that's different from what you normally get, especially for a, a solo, quote unquote, solo act, then why complain when you finally get? I, I just don't understand... Like, this is worse, reviewed worse than Iron Man 2 and D- Thor Dark Oh, World. that's bullshit. You know what I mean? Okay. And I I'm don't hate now. those movies. I this do is, think they are the weakest. This is so much better than that. I don't know where it ranks for me because I haven't taken the time to do that. Right smack but dab this, in the middle for me. Listen here. We're not dealing with one Norse god, demigod. We're mm. not dealing with one rich man who can afford to make robots and has an engineering mind. We're dealing with characters who have been on earth for 7000 years it's going to be a different story bitch please well okay okay i i think 
I, I think it could be about those things and a bad movie too. I think that's possible. I, but I don't think the execution here warrants the bad reviews. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't understand that. This is definitely solidly mid-level MCU, not one of the five best, not one of the five worst. Definitely the positive, what this thing does well outweighs any criticism you might have. So that's a seven for me, a seven and a half for you. <laughs> so from here, I think we're we're about ready to move on into spoilers. So if you haven't seen Eternals yet, we recommend you skip ahead to the timestamp that denotes when a film fave segment starts. That's so, in the description. So yes. just go ahead and check that out. Go ahead and do that. If you have seen Eternals, you want to hear us talk more in depth, follow along with us. Because we're going into spoilers for Marvel's Eternals right now. Okay. So there's quite a few things for us to cover in a short amount of time here. Let's let's do what we can here. Let's talk plot developments. I think sure. those are the biggest things, right? We learn that supposedly Salma Hayek's character was killed by... Was the first one killed by these deviants. And we learn three-quarters of the way through. This is what I foresaw. (laughs) Three-quarters of the way through that actually one of the Eternals killed Ajak, Salma Hayek, not one of the Deviants. And here's the thing. That Eternal was not Barry Keegan. I know. We were so expecting him to be this horrible person. And when we see him on screen and he has mind control, oh, well, fuck. Now we're fucked. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because Barry Keegan always plays a creepy dude. He's so terrible. He's so terrible. I'm glad he's moving slightly away from that. But there's still time. So that was one of the biggest surprises for me. It's like, oh, it wasn't Barry Keegan all along. How about that? No, it was a Stark brother. God damn it. Yeah, it was was Richard Madden. It was um, Icarus who's one of the you know main ones that the movie kind of leans on you know yeah. he kind of leans mostly on Cersei or in Richard Madden's Icarus and uh, you could argue I feel Sprite. like Sprite is next you and know, then yeah. everyone else is pretty even yeah and Ajax Salma Hayek's character was actually the leader and she's the healer of the group yeah, and, someone and, you don't want to take out yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and, I guess and, you do and she got killed for interesting reasons basically she quote unquote lost faith and um he his he was still faithful to their way of life. Yes, to the to their mission, to their to their leader, and she quote unquote lost faith and so he killed her well, because they have a little bit of a ticking clock that's kind of revealed later on in the movie. Mm. And it's in the trailer, we have seven days. He his plan is okay, they'll be so distracted with Ajax dying. And having to deal with the Deviants, the idea that the Deviants killed Ajax, that they won't even be able to deal with the quote-unquote emergence. Which, by the way, we didn't even talk about that. It's it's not even, you know, the, the, the trailers don't talk about it. The whole plan... Oh, they mention it. We just don't know what it is. The whole plan is... Yeah, yeah, that's true. The emergence. We don't know what the emergence is. The whole plan is for the Eternals to plop on this planet... To help it grow its population because apparently the bigger the population, the bigger the energy that helps. Bigger the energy and intelligent life to help birth a celestial. Yes. And a celestial whose um, embryo, you could say, is buried deep in the core of Earth. Yeah. Grows and is supposed to essentially 
birth out of this planet it's effectively destroying it and mm. it's i think this is a very interesting dilemma that they created which is like okay well literally universes have been created this way and in order for universes to be created continuously created they also have planets have to be decimated yeah and billions of living creatures have to die yeah so it's a very interesting dilemma that I you can understand any of the characters swinging either way on the issue. And the Eternals are these characters that are present for that every time. Yes. They just get rebooted, recalibrated, whatever. Right. And do it over and over and over again. So I thought that the way this movie plays out that idea was A way less simplistic and way less conventional than what you typically get in a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. This isn't just stop the bad guy from doing the thing. Yeah, it's more complicated than that. Yes, and I, I appreciate the movie for bringing that complexity and nuance. And it's it, you have this group who has the power to either fulfill their destiny or stop what's happening. And... Is everybody going to necessarily agree with the with it? You know, mm -hmm. and it's it's very interesting when that starts breaking up. What happens? Most interesting is Kumail Nanjiani's part in that. I could understand why someone might be like, "Well, Kumail Nanjiani, he just pieces out." But really, mm -hmm. like, it works for me because he's like, "Look, I, in a way, agree with Icarus, who it turns out is the turncoat." And is the one that's faithful to the plan. I agree with Icarus, but I'm not going to fight you over my beliefs. I'm just going to step out here and let it happen if it happens. And I thought that the way that it is articulated is fairly poignant. And, you know, there's some meat on this this film. Totally relevant. Yeah. I, I like Fastos's character. I mean, you know, I've spoken a couple times on this podcast about nuclear testing and how it's decimated islands never mind also humanity in japan and he was part of that and i love that that is where he just completely lost his faith in humanity and had to refine it mm. had to fall in love with humans again yeah and he does it through family which I think is very crucial. Because that's you know, not to be the a fast and furious about it, but <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing: when you lose your hope for a collective, a collection of humans, mm -hmm. typically how you hit neutral again is you you find one, mm. and then maybe you find a second one, yeah. and then maybe you have three, you mm. know, mm. and that's how it it starts again. Yeah. So that was a beautiful. We, we didn't see a lot of him, but. Just from what they did show us, that was beautiful. Yeah, he was one of the two that I had forgotten about. And I was like, wait, who's left? Because mm. it, it, it had to have been like 90 minutes before they reunite with him yeah. in the film. You know, it was a long time. And, yeah. and even when I thought that there was a lot of diversity within the Eternals, Fastos has a, a Lebanese husband. Right. And, is speaking, and they're speaking Arabic. You know, just when I thought it couldn't get more worldly there we go and yeah. i just i love that yeah 100 percent, absolutely i think is there anything else before we get to the credit scenes to talk about oh 
I thought that the deviant evolving due to sucking up the power from two eternals was interesting i thought that the that particular deviant was going to get at least one more eternal even though i didn't want any more of them to die i cared about all of them a lot even druig and i thought that he was going to become something that would be helpful Mm. but he ended up being fruit salad I will say I'm a little surprised that A, Druig didn't try controlling the mind of Icarus in the climax and like, let's say have Icarus destroy that that deviant. Hmm. And I'm also surprised that, you know, the deviant, it turns out like our sympathies change towards the the deviants. Which I appreciated. And, you know, they're basically fighting for the survival because Eternals essentially um, is always trying to wipe them out. Because they've been programmed to do so. Right. And when that that deviant met up with the all the Eternals and the Eternals were fighting, it's like it's really just Icarus at that point who's trying to continue that mission that would kill that deviant. And it didn't make sense to me that the deviant didn't like help fight Icarus and instead Got into this fight with Athena, which ultimately led to the thing's death in a very cool way. Mm-hmm. You know, but that was that was another thing that was kind of just a small thing. I was like, well, that doesn't like that doesn't quite make sense. Like, why is that you know happening instead of this? Just small things again that really kind of prevent the movie from being excellent and one of the best. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those credit sequences. Uh, first of all, yeah. the movie ends with. Cersei and other surviving Eternals being sucked up into space. It is Cersei, it is Druig, and I think it's cool. Um, no, it's not Druig. It's Cersei, Festos, and Kilgo. Kilgo. Yeah. Okay, so they get sucked up by the Celestial, who basically is like, "You did a <laughs> you you fucked up." Hello, I I from what I hear, you <laughs> this didn't go to plan. And what does he say? He says... He basically says, I will spare them, but that will be based on your memories of them. So I don't know if he's tearing those Eternals apart or if he's interrogating them. Like, I don't know what the repercussions are if you piss off an Eternal. The Celestial. I mean, a Celestial. But he says he'll also be back. So I don't know if he's bringing them back with him because he took them with him. Oh, did he take them with him? That's how I understood it. Oh. Because he became a black hole... And anything by a black hole gets taken. So oh, fascinating. Okay. And uh, so um, we have that. And yeah. in that moment, Kit Harrington's character, who is the quote unquote boyfriend of Cersei at this point, the human, he is about to confess a secret that he has, which for a lot of people would be like, oh, so this would be why you would hire someone like Kit Harrington for <laughs> this boyfriend left back at home role. <laughs> And it cuts off before he's able to reveal, right? Yeah. Which I actually dig. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, so a certain anticipation. I want to know more about that guy. Who is that guy? I don't know. I didn't catch his name in a way that was meaningful to me. I don't know who that guy is. (laughs) And then we have, I believe, basically, that's when we have credits. And then we have a scene where we have Druig and... We have Druig, Makari, and... Athena. All on the, the ship that Because they're repaired. going to go and find other Eternals and warn them of this pattern. Right. And they get visited. 
by two characters we've never seen before who Cosmic Marvel fans were probably flipping out about. I'm not a Cosmic Marvel fan. I have a very cursory understanding of these characters. Our son was bouncing. It was Pip the Troll, voiced by Patton Oswalt. And we have Eros, a.k.a. Star Fox, played by Harry Styles, who come on the ship, and I can't remember. They basically... We get an intro as to who he is. Turns out he's the brother of Thanos. Right. But then Pip loves him and he's basically they say their friends are in trouble. Somehow he's got a communication device to a right. steel. So I wasn't sure which friends he was referring to. Mm. Because and, and you kinda of make it more sense to me. If the celestial took those three, maybe he's referring to those three. I that's what I assumed. Okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So further adventures potentially in the future, who knows when that's gonna pay off. I have no idea, but that's like definitely cracking open even further into the weird, right? Because these are not popular characters that they're introducing. You see him in Infinity, the actual Infinity graphic novel. Yes, the comics, yeah. But, you know, he looks like someone else. So to me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to remember him. But then you see his picture and you're like, oh, I see. And he's been in Mm -hmm. uh, a She-Hulk comic for a little while as well you know he's he's been all over the place and he's even had run-ins with kane the conqueror who was revealed in the loki tv series yeah, and, and now we know that she hulk is coming right so, so there's it's all, all coming together kinds of possibilities yeah. here that is a very big long game that mm-hmm. we've got going on uh, maybe outside of this whole phase even so entirely possible because didn't you say something about Fantastic Four. Yeah, this phase ends with fantastic. The introduction of the Fantastic which Four, which means that you know, all, so all of these characters could be teased out mm-hmm. until Fantastic Four comes, mm. and then a kind of okay, now we're going to show you more of those, or even beyond that. And then that's not all. <laughs> After the credits, we have another scene that comes back to Kit Harrington, and we're like, oh, are we going to get an answer? <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. And he's basically wrestling with whether or not to grab this sword that's in this case. And the sword has a mantra in the case that I could not repeat to you, but it's something like your gift. Welcome. Yeah, my gift is death. Something like that. So does that mean you die? Mm. Like, I don't understand. And he's about to grab the sword, and all of a sudden we hear a voice off camera that's basically saying, are you sure you're ready for that? We have no idea who that is. We didn't see who that was. Because it cuts to black. So we're being teased. We have a friend. That frightened Santa. <laughs> right. We have a friend who's kind of spoiled that for us. I don't know that I'm going to spoil it here because I kind of oh, wish okay. I kind of wish I didn't know yet. All right. Right? Because I love the tease. I love the anticipation. I love like, oh, my God. Like, for an unknown amount of time, I'm going to be wondering like, oh, What's going to what? Who is Kit Harrington? What's going to happen there? I'm sorry, you're not going to spoil who Kit Harrington is revealed to be in the spoiler section of this podcast. Is it never actually says even in the oh, movie. Okay, that's why we have a friend who tells us, <laughs> and he was pissed at first because he he got that information he because was like, he I read, was promised so and so. He read <laughs> all the things on the internet, which is often a bad idea, and so he was pissed because that didn't come to full. It wasn't the first post-credit sequence. It was the second. So, right. Yeah. It, it, and it wasn't even explicitly like officialed. 
mm-hmm. right? So I'm not going to spoil it. If you really want it spoiled, it's a very easy Google search. It's all over the internet right now. Yeah. But I, we're not doing like jokey post credit sequences right now. We're doing setups. Yeah. Full on setups. And it's exciting. Yes. Yes. All right, so uh, anyway. we're running long. Those are our thoughts on The Eternals. What did you think of the movie and all our thoughts? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. And now it's time for Film Faves. Film Faves is a part of the show where we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. The idea behind this is not only give you an idea of our taste in movies, which this topic certainly will, but also hopefully expose you to certain things that maybe you haven't heard of before or haven't gotten around to seeing. And to that end, we will let you know when something, one of our picks, is available on a certain subscription streamer. There are a lot out there, so we only focus on a few. They are Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, HBO Max, and Disney Plus. Anything else? I think you got it. Okay. I'm always uncertain. So for this episode, we are focusing on franchises, film franchises, our favorite franchises. Now, we as we did with... I think opening title sequences and with film scores, we are setting aside the rule. We are setting aside the rule of banning our favorite movies from episode 94, 95, our all-time favorite movies. You see, you see, Jeff has seen the era of his ways. No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's just that it doesn't. It wouldn't make sense. Like this is not just including a franchise. Me not just include one of those movies, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking about a series of movies, so it can be a little more encompassing than that one movie that made that one list that one time. But generally, we try not to focus on mentioning those movies that made that list because obviously those are our favorites. So film franchises, this is an interesting one because, A, we're focusing on film franchises, not just like a movie that went off and made books or other kinds of like TV or other sorts of things, TV right? TV shows, video games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what our favorites are of film franchises. For myself, I set aside trilogies. If it all that came out of it was three movies, then I'm, I didn't include that on my list. So we're not going to see Back to the Future on That's this list. That's a perfect example. Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I re- you know, no John Wick trilogy, no Back to the Future, those kinds of things. If there was prequels, if there was postquels, whatever you want to call it, sequels, I guess is what they are. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I don't know. If, if those are, you know, exist, then they would be in consideration for my list. But really, if there's really only three movies that ever existed... I did not take into consideration. Horror is big on franchises, it turns out. But Shanna is not big on horror. <laughs> so w- uh, am I wrong in assuming that you probably won't have any horror franchises show up on your list? You're probably not going to see that on my list. Okay. What would you like to share about 
your process in creating your franchises, your favorite franchise list? Um, you know, it was hard for me to figure this one out because how I see a franchise is, okay, you have a film and you have a TV show and you have books, graphic novels, correct, board games, blah, blah, blah. But it seems like we're focusing on, you know, specifically films. The film aspect of that, yes. Yeah. And what I realized was, you know, what about things like Wonder Woman? You have Wonder Woman live action and then you have the Wonder Woman animation movies and i know you brought up oh well was it actually theatrically released so that kind of put a hinder on that selection for me that also brings up another thing where a particular character could be actually part of a bigger franchise Mm. so wonder woman herself has never had a franchise independent of the dceu let's say right so um, she would actually, th- those two movies that exist, plus her appearance in Batman v Superman, would be part of that DCEU franchise. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of fine rules here, and I'm not a... It's I'm reality, lovey. I'm not a big fan of it, but here we go. Your rules? <laughs> yeah, you're, rules. you're more of the James Earl Jones side of things. There's no rules, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I'm also more the, this ain't Nam. There's rules here kind of thing, <laughs> you know? Wow, that's actually, I get that now, and that's actually not funny. That's actually really bad. That's, like, so bad. I don't know. Yeah, so. Oh, okay. I think I'll save anything else I have to say for after the countdown, but if you're ready, yeah. feel free to share what your 12th favorite franchise is. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here. So my number 12 is Planet of the Apes. Now, there are several Planet of the Apes movies here. There are. And it looks like most of them are available. I mean, a significant amount of them are available on HBO because I think they're falling into the TCM section of uh. HBO. Which is so, interesting. Clarify real quick. How many of them yeah. have you seen? Have you seen all of the classic ones? No. No, I've seen the, the original. Okay. And then... Maybe, are you, maybe the second one? Are you counting the Tim Burton remake? Oh, yeah. It's a drop in the bucket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he only got one, so it's okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I've never seen that from start to finish. I've only seen pieces of it and was very confused. Because it is. It's a confusing movie. Uh, not very well put together. But I am doing the Andy Circus ones is my main reason for liking this franchise. Rise of the Planet of Apes, War of the Planet of Apes, and Dawn of the Planet of Apes. I am a, a huge fan of Rise of the Planet of Apes, but also Dawn. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, a little less for War, but mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't bad for a trilogy. Not too bad. Mm-hmm. I enjoy this concept of ape primate evolving mm. uh, its its skills to the next level. Obviously, there's there's a couple creatures that have had the opportunity. They're learning sign language, and mm. other things have happened, and that's really fun and cool. But it would be a little scary, I think. So it's terrifying to me. But I love how the Andy Circus part of the franchise really gets the humanity going mm. maybe chloe Zhao could do one of these <laughs> i feel like she mm-hmm. would get it right <laughs> you know i i love the original film and i was very surprised by the the prequels i'm so glad that they haven't continued making those movies trying to milk that 
as much as I can. And you could see it as those those more recent movies leading up to the original as originally intended. Yeah, so Planet of the Apes, the original is from 1968, and it goes all the way up to 2017 right now. Yeah. So they probably won't touch it for a while. I hope not. That's an excellent pick. Oddly enough, did not come across my radar as something to consider. So it did not make my list. But I will tell you what did as my 12th favorite I actually have my possibly my one horror franchise that's on my list. Now, one might think, who knows me and my tastes, that that would be Scream, because I'm a big fan of the original Scream trilogy. I have not seen Scream 4, and I'm not necessarily excited about the next Scream movie. Mm. So what did make my list... That is of the horror genre. Is not Halloween. It is not The Conjuring. It is certainly not Friday the 13th. It is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Of course it is. Yes. Yes. Well, you say that because <laughs> you I've been talking about it a lot recently a lot, to you. Yes. Yeah. Especially the past 48 hours. But here's the thing. I have not seen every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I have seen one, three... Uh, six, I guess, which is like Freddy's Dead, the new nightmare. And then what is it called? A new, what is it called? Is it called A New Nightmare? The one after that, which was kind of like meta and had I'm to do with I'm kind of the, giving Jeff a blank stare because I'm like, I don't know what you expect you don't me know. to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's called A New Nightmare, which was more about the cast of the original movie oh. and Freddy attacking them, which is really cool and meta. And I've seen Freddy vs. Jason, and I did not, I'm not, I'm ignoring the remake. I, it seems like most people tend to ignore the remake, because it's worse, it's considered worse than even some of the worst sequels. Mm. Anyway, I've always had a, an appreciation of this franchise, just because it's so much more conceptually creative than yeah. most slasher series out there. I mean... I know what you did last summer has There's nothing rules. on this. There's rules in this one. Yeah. yeah, well, and it's it's so cool. It's it's kills are way more cool too than oh, this killer's gonna use loppers to kill someone, you know, whatever. I it doesn't necessarily have things that I don't want to have unseen <laughs> that that haunt me. So anyway, uh it's a fun franchise. Nightmare on Elm Street you can find most of it on HBO Max right now. So, mm. all right. Well, and Hulu does a pretty good job too. Yeah. But what is your 11th favorite franchise? My number 11 is Lethal Weapon. Mm. I love this franchise and it counts because it's not just a trilogy, contrary to what some people might want to think. Four movies. Yeah, there's yeah. four movies and they even have a TV show, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> looks like looks like this is all available on HBO. And if you want to check out the TV show, it's on Hulu because I'm just looking at it and yeah. that's where it is. Looks like Just Watch got a new update on their app and it's actually easier to view now. Nice. It's lovely. So I love Lethal Weapon. I think the third one is probably my favorite. Yeah. I find number four amusing yeah. and I I like number two, but I'm also horrified by number two because I had no idea that the South African accent sounded that terrible mm. until I watched that movie. I was like, is that really what we sound like? Oh my God. So it's always nice to to finally hear your accent represented 
but then it's also terrifying because it's it sometimes it doesn't sound very good and it sounds stupid but I love Murtaugh and Riggs. I, I love how Riggs is this unpredictable child mm. and Murtaugh is the parental figure <laughs> essentially and just wants to retire nicely, you know, alive and not like debilitated or dead. So I, I love the dynamic that they have mm. and I love how Riggs is constantly giving Murtaugh shit mm. and you know making doing pranks and joking around with his family i i love how riggs is this broken guy mm. in the first movie and he comes into murtaugh's life and as you you know the first one's a little depressing it's a christmas it, movie it's, it's yeah, um, it is, but it's more serious it's definitely. very serious a lot of what you're describing is like from two on yeah it's dealing with very important issues though so mm. if you are like me <laughs> who watches number three before number two and then number four and then number one, you might be a little bit surprised uh, as like, what, what is this? But it deals with really important issues and it it deals with it quite nicely. I thought I, I love the bad guys in all these films. Favorite bad guy in the franchise. Oh, favorite is probably a number three. Yeah, me too. That mm-hmm. was, that was something. Yeah, the cop killer bullets. Oh yeah. 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 And it yeah. just, it's great. Uh, not, the cop killing bullets but <laughs> the bad guy because it's yeah. like okay well yeah. now you're you know you're after the the whole group yeah. and so that was very interesting yeah. he's the most memorable for me yeah. yeah a lot of people love like the whole like gary Busey of it all in the first ones oh yeah gary Busey. um you know and i'm always quoting joe pesci i'm like right 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 yeah so yeah. i i love this franchise i'm gonna stop talking about it now just outside of my list i do love it i do love it especially the first three but just outside my list because there's other ones that I love more. Here's a surprise for my 11th favorite, the DCEU. It's because of Wonder Woman, though, isn't it? So here's the <laughs> thing. Uh, of course, all of this is available on HBO Max because it's Warner Brothers, and they have almost all of their superhero library, the DC library on HBO Max, yeah. uh, which is kind of cool. I think it's its own hub. Totally worth the subscription. Yeah. So here's the thing. I actually did the math on the DCEU. I slag it a lot for good reason. Yeah. But I mostly slag it because of Zack Snyder's stuff and the first Suicide Squad movie. So I really don't think that that one's that bad. It's Mm, bad, but it's mm, not that bad. mm. Well, Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 84, Shazam... Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad, to me, are the best of the thing. The only ones I actually like, I really feel like the two Zack Snyder movies, uh, Justice League and Batman v Superman, Aquaman and Suicide Squad, are... Not good. They're the reason why I, I DCEU making my list is a surprise. But, you know, 60% of the franchise I actually do love, and I'm looking forward to some of the future entries, you know? Mm. I don't know that they necessarily have a direction anymore because wisely Warner Brothers is stepping away from the Snyder of it all. But anyway, I do love most of this when I actually take a look at this franchise. Some of it's thanks to Wonder Woman, a big thanks. But the Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey, like all of that. Margot Robbie and Gal Gadot, I think, 
are huge contributors to the to why the DCU works. Man, I feel bad that I don't have it on my list after you said those three. Right. Because that's really what makes it awesome. Yeah, and I really like the idea of just going back to the convention of each movie being its own thing and not necessarily having to worry about trying to copy the Marvel of everything. So DCU is my 11th favorite film franchise, and most of it's all on HBO Max. All right, so my number 10 is Rocky, believe it or not. And <laughs> What? Whoa! How is it... How is it that oh, that's guys, on your you list see, and not you mine? See Jeff's face <laughs> was really funny. Oh uh, man! Okay, I am shocked. So if you have listened to this podcast in the past, <laughs> distant past, you will have traced an entire history of Shanna being very resistant to the Rocky franchise, and then only watching it because of one of my favorite wedding clients. Yeah, you right. know, because they they incorporated it into their their ceremony. Now we haven't seen four and five, no. and you haven't seen Rocky Balboa mm. yet, which is actually good. But so let me tell you why it's there. It's there because of one and two. It's but it's mostly there because of Creed. Mm. I absolutely adore Creed and Creed two. Mm. I I think they're so so brilliant and so good and. It's it's got that polished Hollywood look that, quite frankly, I love. And Rocky one and two, they're kind of missing that, and that's okay because that's part of its charm. And Sylvester Stallone, he ain't such a bad actor, you know. Right. He's actually really lovely. I also love him in Is a Copland. Yeah. I love him in yeah. that. So, so good. So in Creed 1 and 2, we've got Michael B. Jordan and we've got Tessa Thompson, and they are just such a powerhouse. In Rocky 1 and 2, we've got Rocky and Adrian. And I think that this franchise is so good at showing support and being in each other's corner. Ha, ha, ha. And it's, it's just beautiful showing, you know, partners supporting each other. And they do that even in Creed 2 when it's like, okay, well, can you take the baby? I need to sure. go create. And... Just that tag team of it is great. And there's a number of other things that they deal with in the franchise as well, but that's the main reason it's on my list. Unbelievable. Literally, <laughs> literally number 13 when I was creating this list. Oh, really? Literally right outside my list. Wow, number 10 for me. That's hilarious. That is crazy, my friend. <laughs> crazy. All right, so number 10... For me, not as crazy, is Indiana Jones. Okay, yeah. I love three out of four of the currently existing <laughs> Wait movies. Wait a second. No, no, no. Wait a second. What? You hate number four. You don't even acknowledge the presence of number four. This That's is right. technically a trilogy for you. No, you don't get to have this. <laughs> okay, you can have it. I'll, I'll back off now. I, I acknowledge that four exists because now five is being made, which I'm not really thrilled about, honestly, because I, I really do think we should let it lie. But I, I do I do love the first three a little bit less Temple of Doom, but especially Raiders and The Last Crusade. It has been a, bit a big part of my life, Indiana Jones, my adolescence growing up. 
the first one came out before I was even one, and the, the third one came out before I was nine. And I remember that one being in theaters. So absolutely love that trilogy. So it's my 10th favorite film franchise. So what is your ninth favorite film franchise? My ninth favorite I don't think is going to be that surprising. It's Mission Impossible. That's a little surprising, actually. Why? I I didn't think you loved that franchise. I like it. It's just I I like so many other things that I spend my time on so many other things instead Mm. of revisiting this. But I... I like the TV show. The TV show is really cool. I know we're not actually really talking about that, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. Well, it is all based on that TV show. Yeah. So, you know, without the TV show, we wouldn't have the movies. Mm -hmm. The TV show was in 1966, and it had this very wonderful, very of-the-time color palette and lighting going on. And, you know, the story was cool, too. And I just, I loved it. We've only seen, I think, about three or five episodes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But still fun. And in the franchise, what have we got? Have we got six? Yes. There Cheapers. Seven was supposed to come out this year originally, I think. Oh, it's probably better if they hold off for a little bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think my favorite is probably Mission Impossible 3. J.J. Abrams one. Yeah, because you, you especially um, called out its opening title sequence of that franchise recently. Yeah, it, it honors the TV show. It honors where it comes from. So I, yeah. I love how they put it together. I like the the story. I like how they mess around with things. And I like the topics that they're dealing with. And the villains are pretty solid. What's your favorite villain from that series? I like the one that comes back the in the record room or something. Yeah, yeah. So Who four, uh, sorry, five and six. Yeah. So I, I like number five as well. Sean Harris. So I can't remember his character's name. But I think Sean for Harris. me, three, five, and then maybe four. I would have to watch them again. In terms of ranking them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very cool. So my ninth favorite franchise is what I call the Foxmen. Uh, that is... Oh, that's cute. 20th Century Fox's X-Men franchise. Available mostly on Disney Plus, but you'll also find, I think, Logan on Hulu and New Mutants and one is other. Is on HBO. Yeah, I was going to say, New Mutants and one other one is on HBO Max. I can't remember what, uh, maybe it's The Wolverine. So I'm including the spinoffs as well as the the two trilogies. Well, I guess it's not two trilogies because the, the next generation had four or five movies unfortunately um so here's the thing like there are in total in that series 12 films if you include the deadpool movies and the wolverine movies there's 12 films and i think i like like eight of those 12 Hmm. because there's the first film the second film first class days of future past the wolverine logan deadpool deadpool 2 i love all of those Hmm. The don't the, there's a there are this is not a perfect franchise, my friends. This there's some major major mistakes that were made. Oh, and I also really like New Mutants too. Major mistakes that were made with X Men: The Last Stand, with X Men: Origins Wolverine, especially those two of the most egregious. Dark Phoenix was also not that good. I'm a little lukewarm on Apocalypse, but no, Apocalypse should have been better. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, 60% of, or so of this franchise, I do love, I'm a huge X-Men fan, seeing them on screen, seeing the different characters be added and um, put on screen is just such a thrill, and most of it was executed very well. 
not popular to say, but credit where credit's due. Brian Cena was a very primary reason why a lot of those X-Men movies work. So, and then you have Logan, James Mangold went in and did some Wolverine movies and, you know, love his work. So mm-hmm. Foxman is my ninth favorite film franchise. My next franchise, my number eight, I believe, is Toy Story. And oh. you'll find everything on Disney Plus now. And I mean everything because for a while they they didn't have their shorts. And I don't mean the five-minute shorts. I mean like the 30, 40-minute little straight-to-video mm. kind of thing. I just love this franchise. I think my favorite, it probably goes three, two, one, four. But, you know, honestly, yeah. if I'm being honest with myself, it probably goes three, two, one, Toy Story, That Time Forgot, Toy Story of Terror, probably the, the short ones like Small Fry, uh, Partysaurus Rex, Small Fry, Hawaiian Vacation, and then four. <laughs> so that's how it goes But you like four more than me. So why is it so low for you? I liked it more than you. Mm-hmm. I liked it more than you. But, like, it, it's not my favorite. All right. You know, it's it just isn't. But I really love the shorts. I I love the 40 45 minute movies. I I wish they would do more of those instead. Mm. And all of it's available on Disney Plus. Excellent. My eighth favorite franchise is Ghostbusters. Uh these are three films right now that currently exist. In our next episode, we'll be talking about a fourth film. It, it's it, it comes down to the first one like the first one's my favorite absolutely it's the best one i have issues with the sequel i have issues with the 2016 movie like both of those i think both of them have their strengths but i do have issues with them do not have issues with the original movie the original movie especially was a huge part of my childhood we talked about this earlier in this episode already so that's kind of clear kind of obvious why i would make the list in the first place so ghostbusters it is my eighth favorite film franchise so my next one is batman oh that's mine okay Oh, what really okay so here's the way i looked at it's it. in the same position it's exactly oh we're so cool exactly available on hbo max the way i looked at it was the original four okay. and the nolan dark knight trilogy all right okay that's what I call consider the Batman franchise. But what is your favorite Batman franchise movie? You know, this is hard because I watched the dark Knight a couple months ago with mm-hmm. our son. And I, I thought I loved it more, but watching it again, I, I didn't find myself getting thrilled about it. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, I've been exposed to so many other things. Yeah. Hmm. So it's a little difficult for me to choose. I'm definitely a Batman girl. <laughs> We're fist bumping. <laughs> I, I like the original from 89. I think that that's great. But... Well, the, there is the 66 one that was based on the TV show. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that, obviously. Oh, you haven't? Oh, no. I thought we watched that. Okay. And you could even count, because we always count the theatrically released movies mm-hmm. only, you could count Mask of the Phantasm, too. I love that one so much. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to pick one. I th- I think that this character has so much potential, and I'm okay with them going round and round and round again, hmm. you know, having different movies. I mean, let's look at that. Like, 89, 66. Uh, 92, 92. 94, 5, 94? And then 2005. 97. 
you know, there's also a bunch of direct-to-video movies too, yeah. which, you know, that's a whole other thing we've talked about. So for me, it's most especially the 1989 Batman film by Tim Burton and the Dark Knight trilogy, which is almost perfect. It's like three and three quarters or three and nine tenths perfect. It's just the very end I have an issue with. My favorite, if I consider all of them, I have to say my favorite's The Dark Knight. I, I feel mm. like that's required by law. <laughs> by cinephiles now. You freaking Nolanite. I mean, like, how many times has that thing won polls on oh, the Instagram? God. But I do I do have so much affection for the 89 Batman mm. uh, movie. I love that. It is absolute popcorn fun. So anyway, we should move on. That is something we have in perfect harmony here, nice. the Batman franchise. Okay, my next one is Star Wars. Star Wars falls at number six. What? <laughs> how is that? I'm going to remember this. Why? It's not your. Oh, you, you're, you're a Star Wars fan, are you? Oh, it's oh, only. Your oh, number, you're gonna shame me like all the other men on the internet. Oh, oh how unique! Oh, <laughs> shit. I'm. I'm actually surprised Batman is lower than Star Wars because I just I have such I'm I have a crush on him. You know? I, I I'm Catwoman. I have a huge crush on Batman. I can't believe Star Wars is not in your top five. What? T- tell us well, about. Well, just this. falls out. It's just a little bit all outside. Right, all right. All right. So, you know, Star Wars is massive. Practically everything is on Disney. I think all of it has to be on Disney. Yeah, no. Yeah, the distorted versions, but yes. I'm not a fan of the prequels. I don't think I ever will be. I don't think I'll ever watch them again. I think, you know, when we have another child, that's probably when we're going to have to sit through it. Do we? Do we? Hey, (laughs) if that's the route you want to take, I will support you. (laughs) My, My charge keeps asking me can i watch star wars with you can i watch but we can watch number one <laughs> and i'm like what, what what do you mean by number one you know with dark mall and i'm like no oh, man no 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 i mean that says something right it definitely appeals to the much younger kids so yeah okay anyway <laughs> we're gonna try and move on here i'll try to stay focused i i like the three original the four five six but I think I'm I think I'm a bigger fan of seven and eight, and I think Rogue One is a great exploration. I just love you how you stopped at eight. You know, it's like there is a ninth movie that exists. <laughs> Number nine is not the worst movie made. It's not. No, it's not. You know it's what's not, the worst is Han Solo. So Solo, Solo movie. Solo is is prequel bad. It is yeah. really disappointing. Yeah, it's really bad. But I, I like the exploration in Rogue One. I, I think that that's fascinating. I think it's great that you break away from the main the yeah. Skywalker saga. Yes. And much needed. Look, we could go on and on about Star Wars, but that's 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 who's at number six. All right. So my sixth favorite franchise is actually the 007 or James Bond franchise. Oh, interesting. So there are a lot of James Bond films. There are, by my count. 27 James Bond films that are in, in quote unquote canon. I'm not counting Never Say Never Again, which was a, technically a remake of Thunderball. And Sean Connery would be like, Oh, maybe I do want to be James Bond again <laughs> after all. I'm not so tired of that. And it's not like a lot of James Bond fans aren't big fans of, of that one or acknowledge it officially anyway. But there are 12 of the 27 that I do love. And that's not necessarily many because it is ultimately less than half of the franchise. But I am also like, it's the James Bond franchise and it's been around for decades and it's been around my entire life. 
So in a way, it's had this constant presence growing up with most especially the Timothy Dalton two movies and then with Pierce Brosnan coming in a few years later and then with Daniel Craig, you know, I mean, Daniel Craig's version of James Bond has taken up most of my adulthood, Mm. which is interesting, actually, when I think about it. Pierce Brosnan was my favorite until Daniel Craig came. Daniel Craig's your favorite then. I think so, yeah. And you, you know, this is coming from someone who's not a fan of James yeah, Bond. Yeah, no, I'm not. You know. So there's a lot I love about the James Bond franchise or within it. I am chomping at the bit to actually go through and watch all the James Bond movies again and write about them. But you can do that yourself right now. The Pierce Brosnan and... Daniel Craig movies in particular are available on Amazon Prime and Hulu. I don't think... Not HBO? That's no, interesting. I don't think the Sean Connery or Roger Moore years are available on a streaming service right now. Uh, and I can't remember about the Timothy Dalton ones. But definitely the Pierce Brosnan and the Daniel Craig years are available on Amazon Prime and Hulu. So that's James Bond, my sixth favorite. All right, my number five, my top five. Here we go. Number five is Harry Potter. Almost made my list. Oh, what, really? It's not even on. Okay. No, but go ahead. I'll tell you. (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll speak after, but go ahead. So this is just magic and witches and wizards done right. I grew up in South Africa. That's where I lived. And it's a very... I don't know what the the correct word would be for it other than it's a Christian-dominated country, which means there's no room for witches or other religions. And in most, I'm not saying all South Africans are like this, I'm saying if witches were brought up, it was frowned upon and you were shamed for liking them. But when Harry Potter came, I think I was 12 or 13 when the book came to South Mm. Africa, and because it was so well written and it was making children want to read, even someone like me want to read, it was accepted finally. And it, it you know, it was just in a few areas where it was not, it was rejected. Uh, my favorite is probably three. And I, mm. I haven't ranked the rest because I just, I'm blindly and I'm just so in love with number three. Your second favorite is obviously Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yeah, I haven't even spoken about that. Um, (laughs) I don't really know what to say other than it it looks like Fantastic Beasts was, you know, it was okay. It's not the worst movie in the world, but the second one, that's Did you end up watching that one? I think I dragged you with. No, I've never seen it. No, I was done with the the Fantastic Beasts. Oh, I see. Yes, no, I watched it with friends and I'm I'm happy to do that. (laughs) I, I love being with my friends at the movies. Uh-huh. I really, I don't really care what we watch as long as I'm with my friends. And that that was a bit painful because it was hard to follow. It felt like they were different directors. It felt like they were, hmm. they were different writers. It felt like there was conflict. Well, I absolutely love the proper Harry Potter series, the mm. years one through seven. Uh, I think that was a huge achievement in fantasy filmmaking. Not oh, not, not yeah. at all a fan of the Fantastic Beasts. Mm. This is just outside my list. This mm-hmm. is probably like right below Rocky in my okay. in my list. You know, yeah. for me, it was an, it was completely an adult appreciation of the craft mm-hmm. and the the things that they were able to achieve that 
just did not happen before consistently for so many movies. I mean, I grew up in a time where if something had the number five in its <laughs> title, it was guaranteed poor shit. Yeah. Um, anyway, I have a lot of love for that. So, uh, and then I'm sure that's all available on HBO Max. It's all on HBO, yes. Excellent. So my fifth favorite franchise is actually one of yours. It's Mission Impossible. Of course, oh, I, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm yeah. a big fan. I mean, it's it's like one of the most consistent action franchises in the history of action franchises. I, it's, I pretty much have gotten to a point where I ignore that number two exists these days because everything else about this franchise is so consistent in terms of these things kind of come along no one really talks about it and then it's like not until like the week of a mission impossible release where it's like oh yeah i'm excited <laughs> like and, and i'm now i'm usually not disappointed i i do love everything from especially three through six uh those are all great movies fallout really was the one standout. I've talked to death so many times. Love that movie. The original movie, based on the TV show, mm. was actually kind of daring because it did things that pissed off the fans of the original TV show. You well, know? and this would have been, I mean, how old would the fans have been? They would have been. Well, they, they were baby the boomers. Yeah, they were yeah. baby boomers. That's a so. huge part of the population that you're pissing off. Right, yeah. So, but I, 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 I think it's a very well crafted, very intelligent action movie that you actually have to pay attention to to follow mm -hmm. along too so uh, anyway but i do love it mission impossible my fifth favorite film franchise that's another one where we definitely need to have a marathon of of those yeah because it, it's doable it's not insane it like is star wars and even then i would probably still include number two just so yeah. you could like refresh your perspective of oh yeah no that really is like that really <laughs> does stand out as as not good comparatively. Yeah. All right. My next one is Marvel MCU. The MCU. Okay. Yeah. I am really freaking curious what your top three okay. favorite franchises are now. <laughs> okay. MCU is rather vast. But if you go, if you adhere to MCU, you're going to find... <laughs> You're going to find everything related to that is on Disney Plus because that is right. where it lives. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on Netflix. I wonder how long they'll have it before it moves to Disney Plus. That's interesting to me. I don't even know how I would begin to explain anything about this franchise other than I think this one hits 30 movies, doesn't it? Is it 20? Five, um, I think I stopped counting. Honestly, yeah. I mean, after you hit twenty, it you know, there's over I twenty got, movies. I think I counted twenty-five. Honestly, okay, there's over twenty movies in this franchise, and maybe five of them are awful. I I don't even know how to talk about this because it's big, and uh, I have several favorites. I think my ultimate favorite is probably Endgame, and I would need to watch everything from start to finish to be able to determine what my top five is, never mind top ten. I think that this is a huge film accomplishment, a huge franchise accomplishment. When Iron Man came out, I was pissed because I was like, is this 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 is who's leading the Marvel world? You're not I'm an like, Iron Man fan. I'm not an Iron Man fan. Yeah. I do not like that man. In three and endgame, I like him, but 
otherwise. But no. even then, you didn't. You you. <laughs> even then, not really. But I I love that we're finally you know we finally got Captain Marvel. Marvel MCU was definitely late to the game for bringing on female led character movies. Uh, DC beat them to that, so good job DC. Marvel, you can do better. This could not be a movie marathon. I mean, you would have to take a month off work. Oh, they know? try. They try. When there's like, a, God, I think they gave up because they didn't. Well, I think the pandemic affected things. But I think yeah. whatever Endgame, I think it was Endgame was the last one where movie theaters were like doing some sort of a, mm. a thing that rehashed well, it's, everything. It's just too much, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love that they've brought different directors. I think Taika Waititi is my favorite one so far. I'm very interested in what Chloe Zhao will get to do in the future mm. because I think she brings a different element to it. Well, I'll be surprised if she directs another MCU movie, honestly. I'd be happy if she did. Uh, favorite villain of the uh, franchise? I think it's Loki, mm. you know, because he plays both sides and I think that that's fascinating and it really is, it's all about him. Thanos is, is not my favorite at all. Okay. I think that's a bit much for me. Mm. I think that's very genocide. You're, you're, so. you're team Malekith, really. He's your second favorite villain. What the it? fuck? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about that. See, it's just, I, I enjoy the franchise so much, but I don't have specifics nailed down mm. except for loving Endgame because I'll listen to the music and I'll want to go watch it. I will see people's reaction to it and I'll want to go watch it. Mm. And it doesn't matter that we've seen it five times. I actually would love it if we could watch it next weekend, maybe. Can we get that on the Canada? <laughs> so my fourth favorite film franchise is Star Trek. Oh, really? Which mo- many of which is available to watch on Hulu. Yes, really, because I grew up at the mm. in the era of the original series movies. I grew up in the era of Next Generation the TV show and people looking forward to, oh, are they going to have the next generation have movies? Because that would be so great. And then what if they had Deep Space Nine movies? And then they had (laughs) movies for every single movie or TV show that eventually developed. They didn't do that. They pretty much stopped with like the fourth next generation movie or something like that. Mm. And honestly, most of the next generation movies ended up really not being great compared to the original series movies. And even then the original series movies had this reputation of every other one, just the even ones being the best ones. And that's mostly true. And I do love them. I do love them a lot. And even the JJ Abrams stuff, I have some issues with into darkness, but I love especially the 2009 film. And I love um, star Trek beyond, even though he kind of star Wars star Trek by making a much more exciting and visceral action-packed experience than what originally Star Trek was. But yes, I, I love Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, I think is grossly underrated. I love First Contact, the best next generation movie. So yeah, this was a big part of my life. And so I, I have to acknowledge it is one of my favorites. It's Star Trek franchise on Hulu. All right. I think I'm on number three, right? Yes. Here we go. It's X-Men or Foxman, like you say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is a franchise. We got the, the animated TV show and I 
lost my mind because I saw white people, Asian people, black people, uh, and then Storm, a woman named Storm from Egypt. And I was like, hey, that's the African continent. We've got representation, you know, being from South Africa, the country at the bottom. And then the movies came out and I just about lost my shit again because now I was actually seeing, you know, live action stuff happening. You know, there are so many movies here. I think you mentioned uh, the total Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was like 12 uh, films. It's not that if you, much. If you include the spinoffs. Okay. It's not that much. But I think how it ranks for me, more or less, is Days of Future Past, Logan, X Men, the first one. And then it's, you're, you're going to fall off your chair, but it's Deadpool. And then everything else kind of falls in line too. And mm. most of it's available on HBO with a few things available on Hulu. And, no, no, no. Oh, only, I'm sorry, Disney Plus. Yeah, only two yeah. are available on Which HBO. is like New Mutants. And I, when yeah. we saw New Mutants, I was like, this is not bad. This is great. This is, it's not amazing. It's right, not Days right. of Future Past. It has but, its issues. But, and yeah. it's not Logan. It was unique in its own way because it hadn't really been, the franchise hadn't really been showing the teenagers coming in. It had right. Rogue. Mm. I love this franchise so much i i really hope that in like eight or ten years we we get to see more x-men things Mm. because they're my favorites Mm. i think i might like them more than wonder woman you know Mm -hmm. because they're just such a diverse group of people very good yeah excellent my third favorite franchise is mcu is terminator oh okay available on e on hulu I think it's Dark Fate that's available on Hulu. And then, like, one or two other movies are available on HBO Max. Not all of them are available, though, unfortunately. Now, here's the thing. Like some of these other franchises, uh, there are entries I have major problems with. (laughs) Uh, Particularly Salvation, which is the one that's on HBO Max. That one was dog shit. And I didn't, it was like, that one turned me off so much that I didn't even watch Genesis, which apparently was a good choice, according to you. I think I listened, I think I watched it for 15 minutes. And I was pissed. Pretty rough. But Dark Fate was a huge surprise. It basically ignores uh, Rise of the Machines. And I even think that non-canonical movie now isn't terrible i actually like those things about rise of the machines that i actually like but i especially love the original terminator 2 and dark fate i love them i kind of wish we just kind of put it to bed and be done with terminator unfortunately mm. but i i do especially love the first two movies and and, and i do think that dark fate it's not perfect but it, it is actually a surprisingly good follow-up that totally got overlooked and is underrated so anyway it's my third favorite franchise i think terminator uh available on hulu (laughs) and hbo max that's my number two i thought you might say that yeah so uh for me it's it's terminator 2 terminator 1 and then dark fate Uh, i think that dark fate was a more honorable way to deal with the storyline i i didn't like how it started I was pissed about that. But then the rest of it, I was like, okay, I can get behind this. It and it's ballsy. It's, it was ballsy as hell how it started. You know what? You just love watching main characters die. I like stakes. <laughs> Sue me. 
<laughs> slap a stake on your eye. So, <laughs> but Dark Fade, if you watch, we just watched Terminator 2 a couple nights ago. Yes. And we watched the, the uncut version. Yeah, the director's cut, yes. Yes. And Which has 16 min- more minutes than the theatrical. It's so good. And it's a little jarring because if you grew up with the the, nor- the, the normal Terminator 2 and then you watch this one, you're like, ah, wait, oh, cool. You know, and they made a good choice uh, taking that stuff out, but it's also nice to see it. Mm. And if you watch Terminator 2 and then you watch Dark Fate, it's a little jarring because our technology has moved in such a different way. Yeah. So I like that Dark Fate exists and yeah. I'm okay if they, they do another one. But with that in mind, you mm. know, yeah. I've never watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I'd like to binge that at some point. I think it's just two or three seasons. Yeah. Now that one, I never watched it because I was resistant from what I understand, it totally fucked with the continuity. Mm. And now it's non-canonical, thanks to Dark Fate. So mm. you could just kind of watch it as a lark, yeah. you know. But I did hear a lot of positive things about it for people who weren't sticklers to the continuity. <laughs> uh, which is you know, a problem for me because it's, it is a movie about time mm. and the continuity of time. When Terminator 3 came out... I was really excited because I just, I love Terminator 2 so much and I wanted to see how was John Connor doing. And, and then they said, oh, Sarah Connor died of cancer. And I'm like, fuck you, Sarah Connor died of cancer. Cancer's not going to take Sarah Connor. So I, I got a little pissy for sure with that one. But well, now you have Doc, Doc, Dark Fate. Dark Fate was yeah. better, yeah. All right, very good. So my second favorite franchise is the MCU. Oh, very good. I think and i i will debate and argue make very articulate arguments about why this is this franchise has continually been a huge achievement and Mm. honestly it's interesting because at this point an entire generation has grown up with these and has no understanding of what came before and like why like even when a movie isn't perfect in the mcu it's still mostly better than what came before yeah you know i mean like there's a generation of people who didn't grow up with the electras and the uh the daredevils (laughs) and the ghost riders you know yeah which is kind of crazy and and marvel there wasn't much in the way of marvel movies pre-turn of century but now we do and like every comic geek who grew up in the 80s and 90s is getting everything they ever imagined and everything in, in that yeah. wizard magazine ever like <laughs> did a casting call for is happening tenfold mm-hmm. in ways that like is kind of extraordinary they're mm-hmm. bringing characters to life that you would never think they'd be able to come into screen so i'm i'm love it i'm i'm here for it i don't think it's perfect i do have some criticisms here and there i'm not an unabashed blind follower but mm-hmm. i also think that even it has a very high floor so even the worst of it is like at most mediocre so yeah it's it's not something that you would never want to see again you know for the most part yeah i mean even iron man 2 i've been kind of wanting to circle back and check and refresh my memory on that one i feel that you way know. about thor dark world yeah yeah and you know avengers endgame legitimized dark world in in a way that at the, by that point people would kind of dismiss dark world as the worst 
you know, and it, it's not great. It's not, it doesn't have one of the best villains. Best villain, by the way, my favorite villain, uh, Thanos, for sure. Yes. I'll be very interested. I'm very interested in how they develop Kane, the Conqueror, uh, and where he goes here as the next huge big bad. Yeah, so MCU, I could carry on. I, we, we have had actual full hour episodes just devoted to a MCU mm. movie. So, so obviously we have no problems talking about these movies. Yeah. Something that we haven't talked about in our Week in Review is What If. But that has oh, been forgot. a really wonderful, rich experience because it's rewarding, right? You've seen mm. all these movies. You've seen all the TV shows up to this point, And then What If comes and kind of rewards you with alternate realities. 100%. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All those are available on Disney Plus, I believe. So that's the MCU. What is what is your favorite franchise? Oh, I'm sure you know. No, you, it's not Fox. Well, go, it's not Star Wars. Is that what why, is why don't you take a breath and try to guess? Did you say Terminator yet? Yeah. That was number 2. <laughs> Terminator 2. Second in my list. Sure, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, I have no idea because it's not it's not the Fox Men. Is it Ghostbusters? Of course, it's Ghostbusters. Okay. Good <laughs> lord. Because you said like has you've said before X Men's your absolute favorite, more than Star Wars and everything. So Ghostbusters, huh? It's All right. Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters ultimately makes it. I mean, seeing it on the big screen finally really hit it home for you know what this is my favorite i would want a ghostbusters live action show i would want a ghostbusters extra animated show i would want more movies please you know Mm. uh bring in to the fold other characters i've already gone and bought some of the merchandise i mean i think that's a strong indicator for me as well yeah yeah the comics are great i'm like oh so when can i get those and some of them are super expensive but I mean, but here's as far the as thing. the three movies, yeah. So here's the thing, I I love the original. I like the second. I love 2016. Yeah. Here's how We've I talked a lot about. That yeah, one, yeah, and I I love seeing women wielding proton packs, and mm-hmm. I understand now, after reading one of the comic books, is I could have had that even sooner, because that world is it's so much bigger in the comic world. Yeah. I love the board games that they have for this. I love the card games that they have for this. I love the merchandise. I think it's a very good, consistent franchise. Mm. So not only are mm. they hitting all the marks with books and media, and it needs a TV show. Uh, I Again. feel like, yeah. Well, I feel like they need a, a, a live action TV show. I think oh. someone should pick that up. Right. It has to be the right person, of course. Otherwise, it's kind of completely fuck mm. out. So 2016 or 1984, which one's your favorite? Here's how I see it, as I was going to say. 1984, it's it's probably my favorite. I think Peter Venkman, unfortunately, as I get older, I'm like, you're an asshole. You're like a straight up asshole, you know, and, and sexist prick too. And mm. taking advantage, like way too much there. And... Here's how I see 2016. 2016 is an SNL skit of Ghostbusters 84. You it's know? not necessarily a compliment for some people. Oh, well, I think it's great. Okay. It's like an alternate world. It's what if. It's what if in the Ghostbusters world. Yeah, I mean, that was intended to be a an actual reboot yeah. that would spin off a bunch of different other movies of other chapters of Ghostbusters called the Ghostbuster Core. And it just um, it just went nowhere, unfortunately. 
And really, it would have been interesting to see what that would have yeah, been like. I, I would have loved to have seen Patty and Holtzman mm. kick ass some more. Mm. I, I love them. Mm. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, a big fan of Holtzman too myself. So, so Ghostbusters is your favorite film franchise. It looks like it. All right. Yeah. All right. My favorite film franchise is Star Wars. Not a big surprise. Of course, of course it, it is. is. Right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, a good chunk of this franchise is actually listed in my 100 favorite mm-hmm. movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. So I'm very similar to you. It, the original trilogy, Rogue One, and The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Oh, excellent. Excellent um, movies. Exactly. You know, the the new stuff started to show what Star Wars could be. Mm-hmm. And Mandalorian does too. I forgot know, to but, mention the Mandalorian. Yeah, but that's it's a TV great. show. It's all right. You know, let's step away from the Skywalker franchise a little, shall mm. we? You know, and show there's other things out there. I, 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 I'm looking forward to the potential of that in the future. I don't remember what's on the slate or what's mm-hmm. planned, but... I, I am absolutely, I absolutely love the original trilogy in its original form, which you can't see on Disney Plus, but I do love the original trilogy in its original form, not so much the CGI version of it. Although we did notice that most of, for the most part, Empire Strikes Back kind of works in its special edition form. It's mostly just flushing out the background stuff. Yeah, I have no problem with things becoming a little sharper. Yeah. I have no problem with things becoming a little clearer. Yeah. But straight up changing, mm-hmm. straight up adding, you should probably leave it alone. It's really A New Hope and Return of the Jedi that's more glaring in its badness, CGI badness. Uh, not a fan of the, the prequels. I really wanted to be at the time, but, it, you know. No. <laughs> what What's great uh, about the prequels is it's a good weeding out of non-believers <laughs> or believers, well, you know. You know, you have generations now that grew up on those and, you know, grew up on them coming out in theaters and stuff. And those tend mm-hmm. to be the more hardcore prequel fans, the people who were five to ten years old when those things came out, you know. But they're just objectively not, not good. I live in a time when that wasn't even a, a likelihood, those prequels. The likelihood of there being sequels even after the prequels came out wasn't a likelihood. The, the idea of there being more Star Wars was not a likelihood for a while, you know? So I remember what that's like. And that's probably one another reason why the original trilogy is still so special mm. to me. And, you know, it also works as a cohesive trilogy, too that doesn't disappoint like so many do like rise of skywalker Mm -hmm. unfortunately Mm -hmm. uh so anyway yeah it's not surprising star wars is my favorite uh was there any that you wanted to include but just fell off your list at all well, you know, that's an interesting question. I it, it seemed to me like I was pretty certain of what was going to be on this list. I, I mm. obviously, I, I didn't do the trilogy thing. So Back to the Future, yeah, you know, fell a little out. Mm-hmm. Who else fell? I, I considered the Muppets because that's mm. that's its own. That's very it's good. It's kind of like MCU in a way because it's it's pretty vast. I didn't think about that. Oh, wow. Not even yeah. at all. 
No, didn't oh. even consider it. Yeah. I, also, I don't know that I would have made it because there's uh, really only a couple Muppet movies yeah. I love. Yeah. You love a little bit more than me. Well, for me, it's sentimental reasons. And I was like, well, that's, that's too much sentimental for right now. Hmm. You know, it's I, I hmm. love Treasure Island and the Christmas Carol. Uh-huh. I also thought about Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Really, it's Fury Road that I absolutely fucking adore. So it wasn't going to be about the others. Yeah, for me, it's just Road Warrior and, and Fury Road. Like, mm-hmm. I like the original one. It's so different from what we think of when we think of Mad Max. It's very interesting to go back and watch the original one. It's like a lethal weapon experience. <laughs> Maybe. But I absolutely yeah. really do not like Thunderdome. So yeah. um, it didn't make my list. So not many movie or franchises fell off of your list. When you're making this. No, I, I was I was definitely certain of what I wanted on there. So I took into consideration 27. Some of those are trilogies. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to do How to Train Your Dragon, John Wick, or Back to the Future. I thought about Jurassic Park as well. Actually, I'm shocked Jurassic Park's not on your well, list. Well, uh, the first one has my heart, and everything else is kind of whatever. Ah, see? Similar line of thinking. I, I, lo- I love the first one, though I have a couple issues with that one like the second one and like Jurassic World but the third one is dog shit and I didn't even bother with the sequel to Jurassic World it's like Dominion or something so for me I already mentioned Rocky Harry Potter lethal weapon thanks to you Fast and Furious was one I considered but it's it's you know I've I've only it's really Mm -hmm. three movies Mm -hmm. that I love out of that Scream I mentioned Toy Story you mentioned the born series but really for me that comes down to a trilogy because i haven't seen jason Bourne. i haven't seen the born legacy i've heard those aren't great anyway Mm -hmm. uh lord of the rings to me again it comes down to just the trilogy because i don't like the hobbit uh trilogy uh alien i thought of but Mm. again that's just the first three movies i don't like everything that's come out since especially Mm. the prometheus stuff that Ridley oh, Scott's been I doing. I hate Prometheus. You know, beautiful movie, beautiful movie. Sure. But really, writing-wise, not nearly on par. Predator. I'm a big Predator fan, but I really only love the first movie and Predators. Mm. It ha- it, that has a bad track record with sequels, especially if you take into consideration in both cases, Alien versus Predator. Not good mm. movies. Halloween. I only really like three of those movies, or have seen three of those movies. And that's about it. So, you know, it's really like just four franchises out of all those that just fell off of the list. We're just outside of it. So, but what are your, some of your favorite film franchises? Email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. We'd be interested in hearing if some of ours are some of yours. Shannon, before we move on to, to what's happening next time, on the movie lovers why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online as we wrap up here you can find me on instagram shanna underscore paxton underscore photography and on flick chart spellbinding a excellent where are the many places people can find you so there are a few and there's actually a couple things i, I gotta tell you about too because it's very important for uh, listeners to know that there's some opportunities here First of all, go to GibsonReview.com. You'll find past episodes on there as well as reviews and features, you know, Disney through the years, all kinds of things on there. 
go to Facebook slash the Gibson Review if you want to follow there. But if you really want something that's more pro productive, I recommend going to Instagram, the Gibson 99, following there. I do bracket polls there. I took a break off of bracket polls for a little while because we had a huge thing. And then we did favorite 2005 movie, and that ended up being Batman Begins. Now we're going through, in honor of our last episode, going through and picking your favorite scores decade by decade, which will lead to a bigger bracket of favorite scores. And here's what we got so far. Your favorite score from the silent era in 1930s was The Wizard of Oz. Your favorite score from the 1940s was Citizen Kane. Your favorite score from the 1950s was Sunset Boulevard. Now we're, at time of recording, working through the 60s. That might be finishing up around the time you're listening, but we'll do the 70s after that, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and then the big one of your favorite film score. So follow there, but also we have a giveaway. We haven't done a giveaway in a while. I thought it was time since it's my birthday month. We're recording on my birthday weekend. I thought I'd do a giveaway. You have an opportunity to win one of four of my all-time favorite movies on Blu-ray. You could be one of four people who win either 500 Days of Summer, Almost Famous, Jaws, or Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan on Blu-ray. And that will be actually a director's cut version. All you have to do is go to the Gibson 99 on Instagram, follow that account, Find a post that's talking about this. Comment your favorite movie on the all-time favorite movies list at thegibsonreview.com and share that post in your story tagging the Gibson 99. That's all you have to do. Just those two, three things. And you will be entered to possibly win one of those four movies. A winner will be drawn on November 30th. So there will be a few posts giving you different opportunities to enter to win. But you really have to make sure that you comment below your favorite movie on my all-time favorite movies list at thegibsonreview.com. And make sure you share the post in your story tagging the Gibson 99. Those two things especially have to happen in order for your entry to be valid. U.S. accounts only. U.S. addresses only for shipping purposes. So check that out next time on The Movie Lovers. It's probably going to be my favorite episode. So we have two things. Yes, that episode, which is our review. Of, of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes, with film faves being our favorite comfort food movies. Movies that when we don't feel well or we just, you just want something in the background or whatever that helps you feel good, those are our comfort food movies. We'll talk about that. But we'll also have a bonus episode looking ahead at the winter months and talking about what movies we're looking forward to most in December, January, and February. So keep an eye out for that. If you click follow or subscribe on your podcatcher, it'll pop up very easily for you. Uh, but that's what you can look forward to. The next a proper episode of The Movie Lovers will drop on Tuesday... November 23rd. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.